we have no slides today. Somehow they got stuck in the cloud, and I can't get it out of the cloud. I'm not sure how that works, but they were nice slides today. I was really proud of them, but we can't use them. So, too bad. So, well, let's just pray before we begin. Lord, thank you for this morning uh, gathering as your people and uh, supporting each other, hearing from your word, worshiping you. And so, Lord, as we come before you under your word, may we submit to it and listen to your voice who speaks often very quietly. And so may our spirits align with your spirit this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we've been talking about the fruit of the Spirit the last few Sundays. And what we mean by the fruit of the Spirit is about spiritual maturity or Christian character or quite simply godliness or holiness. There's lots of words to define the fruit of the Spirit. And so last Sunday we talked about love and... um, we're still going to talk about love. Darren said we're going to talk about joy, but that's next week. Uh, we're going to coordinate that with Thanksgiving. And by the way, for Thanksgiving Sunday, next Sunday, uh, be prepared to share a little bit of what you're grateful for. And if you want to bring an item that's symbolic, whether it's a picture or a rock or what have you, that symbolizes what you're grateful for, just bring it along, okay? So I might tap you on the shoulder or or um, surprise you from the pulpit and say, would you share? Okay. Well, now, no one's going to bring anything if I do that. But, but anyway, you get the picture. So um, come bring something. So we talked about love last Sunday, and we're going to talk about it one more time because it's absolute the most important characteristic of all. Now, we said, if you remember, that biblical love is not simply a feeling, Right? And just as we confuse love with this warm, fuzzy feeling, there are other confusions that we need to clear up about spiritual growth and godliness and about love. Uh, We always have to make sure that all of our definitions are from the Word of God and reflect the character of God. And so we want to keep on doing that. Because if we don't, then we end up, by default, copying the definitions that we hear in our culture. So we're going to deep dive a little deeper into the subject of love, the fruit of love, from 1 Corinthians 13, which is the classic chapter on love. But before we do, let me clear up two more confusions about spiritual maturity. So, confusion number one. Knowledge isn't the same as spiritual maturity. Knowledge is not the same as spiritual maturity or godliness. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 8, 1 to 3. So there were some in the church in Corinth who confused knowledge with spiritual maturity. They made too much of their spiritual knowledge. You know, we live in an age of information. And this can easily happen to us as well. So, 1 Corinthians 8, 1 to 3, Paul says to this troubled church, We all possess knowledge, but knowledge puffs up while love 
builds up. Those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know, but whoever loves God is known by God. Now, to be clear, um, Paul is not against knowledge. We need people with knowledge and wisdom in the church, right? We need people who are good at studying the Word of God and have good depth of knowledge theologically, biblically. And so we need people like that. And so actually back in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 5, right at the beginning, Paul says this to them. He says, For in him you have been enriched in every way with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge. God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. So right from the get-go, he's acknowledging that this congregation is filled with God's knowledge, right? And speech, And so Paul speaks of knowledge and their speech as a good thing. That never was the problem. The problem showed up when some thought they knew more than others and their knowledge became a thing of pride. That's where it goes off the rails. You know, when Bible or theological or spiritual wisdom as important as it is, I'm being careful because, you know, we can suddenly make it sound like a bad thing, but it's a good thing. But when it takes on the spirit within a congregation, I know more than you do, or I'm more spiritual than you are, and I know better than you, knowledge has become an issue of spiritual pride and a condescending spirit. That is what Paul meant when he says, knowledge puffs up. It makes people arrogant. Knowledge divided this church. That is why Paul had to say, knowledge puffs up, but love is what builds up. Now, Paul turns knowledge on its head when he says, those who say they know something do not yet know as they ought to know. So he's saying, look, you guys think you know, but you don't really understand what you're lacking. But whoever loves God is known by God. That's like saying you might know lots about truth and about God, but you aren't really knowing what you don't know about love. We know, you might know lots about the Bible, but it doesn't mean you naturally love Knowledge does not naturally lead to love. I think it was John Maxwell who once said, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. That's a good line. So don't confuse Bible knowledge or knowledge about the Christian faith as important as this is for true Christian growth. Godly Christians ultimately love. Confusion number two, don't confuse spiritual gifts with growth in character. Now, we know that God causes the rain to shower on both the good and the bad, right? We all know that. It comes to all people. 
He also gives talents to all people, whether good or bad. Now, in a similar way, God gives spiritual gifts, the gifts of the Spirit to all believers in Jesus Christ, whether they are new in the faith, immature in the faith, or mature in the faith. At the same time, when God judges the church, he will not evaluate us or reward us according to the kind of spiritual gift you were given. Okay? Just because you were given the prominent, maybe public gift, doesn't mean you will automatically receive this higher reward. Someone with the gift of prophecy won't necessarily be rewarded more than the one who serves behind the scene with the gift of helps, for example. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul teaches about gifts, as you know. And Paul says, like the human body with many parts, the church has differing gifts. No one can say to each other, we don't need you. So the head can't say to the big toe, I don't need you. You know, without the big toe the whole church could actually trip over and fall and hurt themselves, maybe fall on its head, right? And so we all need each other. We need each part. We need each gifted person. But you see, the Corinthian church, they excelled in the use of their spiritual gifts. They were a talented bunch, whether it was speaking gifts like prophecy or teaching or sign gifts like tongues or miracles or interpretation. It's important as important and needful as all these gifts are in the body of Christ. Spiritual gifts are not the same as spiritual maturity. They are to be used to build up the church. So this is where Paul speaks some of the most famous words for the church. This is 1 Corinthians 13, 1 to 3. So listen very carefully. And I will show you the most excellent way. If I speak on the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I possess, give all I possess to the poor and give over my body in hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. I mean, there's a whole pile of stuff in there to reflect down, isn't there? And I think we need to. It's so profound. So once again, all of God's gifts are good, given for a purpose. In fact, at the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, before he launches into the subject of love, he actually says to the congregation, eagerly desire the most helpful gifts. So, you know, we could have a whole, another sermon series on the importance of understanding your gifts, right? That's how important it is. So we're not saying negative stuff about gifts. But he's saying, if we use our talents If we use our gifts in the church without love, without commitment, without compassion, without care, without using them to build up the body, because that's the very purpose of the gifts, right? Not thinking about others first, we gain 
nothing. And in reality, God is saying, you're running a gong show. Now, this reminds me of a bowl of soup. You know, do you remember sitting down at your table and homemade soup is prepared? And you take your first spoonful of soup and it tastes like nothing. Now, the cook worked hard in the kitchen. There's no doubt about it, right? Putting together a wonderful bowl of veggies and meat and what have you, all kinds of wonderful ingredients. But they forgot something. They forgot the salt. They forgot the spices. And it tastes like nothing, right? So if the church were a bowl of soup, even if you had all the wonderful God-given gifts in that bowl, and if it's not sprinkled with God's love and your love for each other, we become a bland Christian community. Does that make sense? Lots of action, lots of stuff happening, but dead if there's a lack of love. So a growing church includes gifts. Oh, we got slides. How'd that happen? Thank you. But true godliness and maturity happens when we grow in the fruit of love. Now, let's deepen our definition of love, and we're going to continue in the verses that follow in 1 Corinthians 13, 4-7. Now, Paul's words here are very much custom designed for the Corinthian church. And so he begins with the positive expression of love, followed by eight verbs expressing what love is not. And so the very front, the first phrase is, love is patient and love is kind. Patience and kindness are like the headlines here. And everything else basically follow the headlines. Okay, So they're very important words. First, let's talk about patience. You know, when I reflect on these words, um, it kind of dawned on me how gracious this word patience is. It's a very gracious word. I mean, isn't this the way you would want to be treated? Would, Would you like people to be patient with you? I sure would, right? Just hold off. Be patient with me, you know, especially when I screw up. Why, is, why do we want people to be patient with us? I think it's because we are all works in progress. God is not finished with you yet. Patient love accepts the fact that none of us have arrived. Now, it doesn't mean that our moral standards are lowered and thrown away, but without patience, we become demanding. Without patience, we can tend to become controlling. 
Patience remembers that the Christian life is a long walk with fellow brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. Uh, You know, each of you, you grew up in a biological family, and you know the need for patience, right? And each other family member needs to be patient with each other because you just kind of know everybody's weaknesses. And the church is the same. And we walk together. And when we walk together, and when we get deeper together, you're going to see the good, you're going to see the bad, and sometimes you might see the ugly. You know, the old King James uh, Version um, word for patience, and I forgot about this, but but it was love suffereth long. It's pretty graphic, okay? Love suffereth long. But to me, it speaks quite well here. Paul spoke about being a parent to his churches. And he really was speaking about his need to be very patient with them. So to the Galatians, he said this, My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is forming you. See his imagination, right? He's picturing himself as a parent, right? Giving birth to this new fledgling church. And it's painful, just as a mother gives birth to a child. It's painful. Paul compared growing new Christians to nursing infants. He says this in 1 Thessalonians 2. Just as a nursing mother cares for you because we loved you so much. There it is. And we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. A nursing mother. Now Paul is not related to any of these people. They're not biologically connected. But he regards them as family, brothers and sisters. And he loved them like they were his own children. And he viewed them as his spiritual children. But the point is, patient love requires sacrifice for the sake of others. Love suffereth much, just as Christ did. We don't stop loving one another just because it gets messy. I think we just have to accept the fact that life in the church sometimes is messy. Because if we don't understand that, we bolt out of churches way too soon. God certainly does not give up on us. Listen to 2 Peter 3.9. Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, thank God, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So as we said last week about love, love begins with this commitment, reflecting God's commitment to love us and a commitment to be with people and to be for people as Jesus was. This is patient love. Uh, Next one. 
Love is kind. You know, kindness may be one of the most underrated Christian qualities. It's kind of like the word nice, right? I mean, my mom taught me, you know, I heard her say, be nice, Daniel, right? I mean, what does that really mean? You think, well, okay, yeah, be nice, I'll be nice, you know? But we don't take it too seriously because we don't understand that, you know, niceness is actually very important. I was talking to someone a few weeks ago, and he told me about a bad experience he had in a garage uh, for an oil change. And apparently, um, they changed the filter in his truck, and they replaced it with the wrong filter. And it's one of these modern trucks. And this led to all kinds of engine issues and a very expensive fix for this gentleman. Now, most of us probably don't think air filters are really that significant in a vehicle, right? But apparently, they're very important. So kindness kindness reminds me of air filters, unseen, undervalued, maybe not, not that expensive, but absolutely crucial to relationships. So Paul headlines love as kindness together with patience, showing us how important kindness really is. So what is kindness? Well, kindness are acts of love, often small, but very meaningful, just to make people feel a little bit better. Kindness is often shown by acts of kindness, like making a meal for someone, baking a dessert. Kindness can be a kind word. Uh, It can be a thank you card. It could be words of affirmation or encouragement, like, I'm praying for you. Uh, Please take care. You did an awesome job, right? I mean, you could skip these things, but you understand if we don't have these things in the congregation, it's just not the same, right? Blandness creeps in, spiritual blandness. We show kindness through a lot of just practical things. Use people's names. They're human beings made in the image of God. Make eye contact with people. Give them attention when you talk to them and when you give to people. How about facial expressions? Right? Facial expressions are important. How about body language when you talk to someone? Turn, turn toward them because you care. You're actually being kind when you do that. Body language is way more powerful than you might imagine. And by the way, I witness a lot of kindness at Claremont. So be encouraged, but keep on doing more. Now let's look at what love is not. What love is not. This is found in the following verses in verses 4 to 6. Let's uh, look at these. Next slide. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, 
It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil. Now, clearly, God led Paul to put his finger on characteristics for this church that were the very opposite of love. And you might not struggle with much on this list, but on the other hand, you might. I'm just saying it was probably tailor-made for this Corinthian church. This is the word they probably needed to hear. So maybe there, are one, there was one thing, maybe two things on that list that just stand out to you, right? So let, let the Spirit minister to you. Uh, didn't, don't ignore some of the um, negative characteristics that are found in the Bible, right? They're there for a reason, okay? They, they kind of prick and prod, but the Spirit uses these words too. Don't ignore them. Let them speak to you because God has a way of waking you up in your need for the Holy Spirit in these moments. Uh, no one likes to be told what their weaknesses are, um, but the Spirit is very good of doing it in a very kind and gentle way, by the way. Now, last Sunday, I was telling you a little bit about my sister. I have three older sisters, but this is the youngest of the three. My brother and I are the youngest, and a year and a half older than me. And sometimes my sister, my dear sister, and I had fights. Um, she, she had this temper and yada, yada. Yeah, we had our moments. So one time, I made fun of her, and I did it, I did it to tease her, that's the language we use, right, to justify everything, and uh, I used the Japanese phrase. We didn't speak Japanese, but sometimes when you grow up in Japan, you have phrases from a different country. So I called her daikon ashi, and ashi means legs, and daikon are giant-sized Japanese radishes. Do you get the picture? Not a very good picture, is it? You know right away it's a very mean picture. But at the time, my brother and I just laughed as we said it. Now, my sister didn't say anything. Okay? I mean, normally she would, she might, but she didn't say anything. Time passed, and my mother spoke to me. And she says, Daniel... Do you know how mean your words, your words, daikon ashi, were to your sister? Do you know how much you hurt her feelings? And so she explained to me that she is very self-conscious of her legs, and by me using that comment was hardly helpful for her well-being. If my mom did not point this out to me, I would not have been near as sensitive about what I said to my sister. Right? So this is like these, what these words will do to you, hopefully, to work in your favor. So I'm saying don't ignore these powerful negative words. They're actually helpful, just as my mother 
came to me and told me how harmful my words were. So there's a good reason for Paul to use this list of what harms relationships because they, in fact, destroy people. They destroy relationships. Now, I can't explain all the words here, so I'm going to break it down basically into three parts here. So part number one, love does not envy, boast, or is not proud. So next, next slide. Now, another word for um, envy could be jealousy. In the Corinthian church, um, those with less public gifts uh, were envious or jealous of those who got all the attention, it would seem. You know, perhaps these were the baby toes who wished they were the mouth or the eyes in the church. And so they're jealous of the attention they got. But as Paul told them, you're a body and every part is important. Some people became proud and boast about their contributions to the church. Some can give lots. Others can give only a little. Some can sing like angels. Some of us can only croak like frogs. But shall we accept it? Yes, let's accept it. There is no room in the church for pride. All of us are who we are and gifted as we are because of God's grace. It is up to God who gets whatever gift, whatever spiritual gift and whatever office that is given to someone. Love is necessary, especially when we struggle with jealousy and pride. Next part, it is not rude or self-seeking. I want to back up a slide. Yeah. It is not rude or self-seeking. Another word for rude is dishonor. 1 Corinthians 11 Paul felt the need to rebuke the church because of how they dishonored the poor among them during the Lord's Supper of all occasions. So this is what he said to them. You are not really interested in the Lord's Supper. For some of you hurry to eat your own meal without sharing with others. As a result, some go hungry while others get drunk. What? Don't you have your own homes for eating and drinking? Or do you really want to disgrace God's church and shame the poor? Now, we have to understand that, you know, for the early church like this church in Corinth, the Lord's Supper included a love feast. Now, you know, we try to tack on a potluck to our Lord's Supper to bring out that significance, but it was more than, you know, a little cup of juice and a few crackers, you understand. Okay, so this was part of their ministry. It was a potluck for everyone. But apparently what it sounds like was that some of the prominent people who were also the wealthy people, they came early. They set up their potluck early and then when they ate their food even before the poor arrived for the Lord's Supper. And only scraps were left for the poor. 
all this rudeness and the dishonor of the needy, all while celebrating the Lord's Supper, which is basically a celebration of God's love for them, was a complete contradiction to what a Christian should be. So this is why Paul must tell his church, when you eat the bread and drink the cup of Christ, you do so unworthily, and you're guilty of sinning against the body of Christ. And so this is why Paul tells them in this version of the Lord's Supper, you need to examine yourself. You're in this big, fat rush. The celebration of the Lord's Supper has lost its meaning. It's about the love of Jesus. And here you ignore the poor and you dishonor them. They have become rude. They have dishonored the poor and the needy. True love thinks about the needs of others before your own. Uh, Next part. Love is not easily angered or keeps record of, of wrongs. You know, being irritable is probably another word for being easily angered. It is the complete opposite of patient love, whereas Paul says in verse 7, love never gives up, love never loses faith, it's always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Now let's be honest, now and again, some people in the church might drive you a little crazy because of this or that, okay? And your frustration might be getting high, maybe even to full-blown anger. But you're irritable nonetheless because people may not be measuring up to your moral standards. They are not towing the line. And pretty soon you have mentally made a list of wrongs because of your holier-than-thou spirit. Uh, Call it a grudge. Call it an unforgiving spirit. Whatever it is, it isn't patience, and it isn't kindness. Like I said, churches can be messy places. Some are spiritual babies. Some have been in the church for a very long time. Levels of maturity will differ. And that's normal. The church is, like I said before, it's like a mixed salad but we are not free to pick out the onions and the asparagus when we want and when we want to make it all clean, supposedly. Jesus asks us to love and forgive and to not keep a long tally of grudges against people. Well, now that I've irritated you just enough, you might wonder, Is love even possible? I mean, we're bringing up stuff that you can feel it in your heart, in your mind. It says, ouch, that hurts. And it's difficult to love. Remember what Charlie Brown said? I love the church. It's just people that I can't stand. But I want to encourage you more this morning. 
In Christ, love is possible. Now, now you can go to the next slide. <laughs> In Christ, love is possible. Paul said to the Thessalonian church, this is 1 Thessalonians, May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else. Then, I just happened to turn to 2 Thessalonians, and then he said this, I thank God for you, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more, and the love all of you have for one another is increasing. So between letter number one and letter number two, God is answering Paul's prayer and it's actually happening. Love is possible. And the question is, how did their love increase? Well, I think a couple things. Faith is coupled together with loving action. Okay? Faith in God is coupled together with loving action. So the scriptures say, love God, love one another. And it goes hand in hand. Now, we know that love comes from God, right? It comes from the Holy Spirit. And remember what we said before, fruit does not grow at Superstore. Remember that? Fruit does not grow at Superstore. My point was this. Fruit does grows from a living tree, correct? Fruit grows from a living tree, if we're to press this metaphor, and it's a good metaphor. It means when you are connected to Jesus Christ, then his supernatural power will work through you to produce his kind of agape love, right? It's not human will manufactured, it is spirit manufactured as you abide in Jesus Christ. But love also increases when you move out in love. That makes sense? Love increases when you move out in love. God may put in your heart to love through a kind word or deed. Okay? He might say to you, you know, write that thank you card. Affirm that person. Say a kind word. Spend a little more time with that person. But then, what comes next? You actually have to do it, right? And that's the part God's not going to do for you. You actually have to move out and love so love is produced through this cyclical cycle. Abiding in Christ, he speaks to you, and you move out in obedience. And then the cycle continues, right? And when you do this, your love will only increase. When you clothe yourselves in love and practice love, God uses your obedience to rekindle love in your heart, which only increases your love for others and for God himself. Well, I'm just going to close with reading Colossians 3, 12 to 14, because it speaks so well. So listen. Colossians 3, 12 to 14. 
Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. That says it all. Let's pray. Lord, may we listen to these words with attentiveness. Clothe ourselves with compassion. Clothe ourselves in your love because it's like the super glue. It's like the gorilla glue that holds us together. And so, Lord, our prayer this morning is that you will cause us to be people who truly love. Love that is generated through our relationship with you. And love that moves out in obedience to love our brothers and sisters and the world around us. And so we ask for your help, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.